Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. City Art Chronicles is a Bay Art Chronicles production. Hello and welcome to our first Chronicles Q and A of twenty twenty two. It's me, Nikki Bandini. It's Mina Rizuki alongside me, and we have got a mailbag full of your questions to get into to start the new year. So let's dive right on into it. Mina, the first question I've got here, actually, we, I think we're going to just uh, say we, we answered this one on the main podcast, uh, which is, could you please clarify the COVID protocols, in particular, who has the authority to postpone a match? Why did Inter have to turn up to Bologna's ground when we all knew the match wouldn't go ahead? Sam in Amirati in Australia asked that question. We, we did address the COVID protocols on the main podcast for this show, just to sort of, um, I guess, to, to, to answer the second part of that, which maybe we didn't get into as much on, on the show. Uh, Inter had to show up at Bologna because the league's rules at that time, because we hadn't had any sort of clarity, we hadn't had this sort of meeting between the uh, Italian uh, Football Federation and, and the government at that time, that was just what's expected of them. The, the, the league had never postponed this game. So what happened was Bologna were told by the local health authority, the ASL, you can't go to the game. Inter were going to the game as they were supposed to. Serie A never cancelled the match. So Inter have to show up, otherwise they haven't shown up. And so they show up, they pretend to play a game. And then the ruling comes afterwards. That's just the order that things have been done in. That's what happened, for instance, with Napoli, Juventus, uh, Juventus Napoli last season with Lazio's game against Torino. Because it's competing authorities, it's the health authority telling them to do something, not the Serie A team, Bologna, Bologna not to come to the game. Serie A had chosen uh, this response of just not acting until the game is already sort of in quotes, been played and then making decisions afterwards. Hopefully we have some better clarity now with new protocols coming in. 
It's a lot of fun to waste everyone's time. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's extraordinary. And, and this Inter Bologna game was especially extraordinary because um, Federico Di Marco, they had a training exercise on the pitch to sort of make up for the fact that they'd gone all that way and not played a game. Di Marco actually got injured in that training exercise, thankfully not uh, really? too badly. So, yeah. So uh, a, a game that never got played and uh, and still you managed to pick up an injury from it. I did actually... Um, write about this as well if anyone's interested for the guardian just google my name in the guardian you'll find my author page on the guardian and uh, i wrote about this on uh, friday morning about the, the covid mess as well so check that out for a second thing but um otherwise listen to this week's uh, main podcast second question from kartik in new delhi mina kartik wants to know why has matthias select been so prone to giving away handballs even if I, as Kartik, felt yesterday's one was a bit harsh and he really had no option. But can you point out the reason why he's been like this or is it just bad luck? Um, Mina, I don't know if you have an opinion on whether he's just unlucky and also if you want to get into that question of whether or not the handball was a penalty in the um, uh, game between Roma and Juventus. And of course, there was a second incident which could also have been a penalty involving Delict and Hans. Um, the second incident, which is one that our producer is particularly aggrieved by because he's a Roma fan, um, is one which wasn't given because according to the rules of the game, if you're, if the ball ricochets of another body part and hits your arm, then it is not a penalty because it's a ricochet. And that was a law that was changed. And, and, uh, we know that if it's a ricochet, it's never a penalty, even though some felt like actually by, if we look at just, you know, the, in the spirit of the game, if you're making your body bigger and it, there's still a ricochet, it should be a handball. But for the one that was a penalty, I think it was deserved. I think at the end of the day, when you're turning like that, it's clumsy. And so, yes, it's, it's harsh. I think every handball is harsh unless you're doing Luis Suarez against Ghana in the World Cup, which is probably the most blatant form of handball I've ever seen, um, or your Maradona scoring from the hand of I'm God. I'm going to take you way off, off track, Nina. But like, that handball, because you always say everyone, you're the witch, right? It's my favourite. Yeah. I would do that handball in a second. Like, Me too. You're, you're, you've got an option that could give your team a chance of staying in the World Cup. Of course you do. Everyone was so mad at him. I was like, yeah, of course you do. I was like, I would totally do it. Like, I love you for doing it. You know, and you, and you accept your red card for it. Like, yes, yeah. yes. Like, you know what irritates me is like when I was always the person that would like get irritated with Buffon because he was always just a nice guy, and I was like, you'd never do that because you stick to the rules. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I hate that guy. I want the guy that's like willing to die for me. You know, and Suarez was always that guy, which is why I loved it when Buffon got sent off against Real Madrid because it was like, finally, I see the dirty side, you know. But yeah, I would totally do what Suarez did. But unless it's something that obvious, I always feel like handball's a little bit harsh in general, you know, because a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's, it's accidental most of the time. I genuinely do believe that. Um, but if it is clumsy, you're turning your back to the ball, whatever it is, it is a penalty. And unfortunately, um, for Roma, they, they couldn't score it. And luckily for Chesney, he managed to save it, even though he went down too quickly. But uh, I, I did laugh a little bit about Chesney because he got the plaudit, but he didn't make a mistake. It's just that Pellegrini made a bigger yeah. mistake. It was a terrible penalty, unfortunately, for Roma. Yeah. 
It really was. But in terms of like, um, actually, here's the thing. I think Italian is very good. And we're talking, I'm talking about even from the 90s of how to defend with sort of crossing their hands behind their back. Um, I've seen that a lot, even from Milan defenders in the 90s. And it's something that, well, used to get taught quite a lot to, to young defenders in Italy. And I think that they got very good at it. But obviously, you know, Chiellini is a little bit clumsy with his hands, gives away a few handballs here and there. But Tillich is has been unlucky. I do think that the way that he's learned how to defend is a little bit different in the sense that it is about authority and using his full physique to intimidate opponents. And if you speak, if you listen to his interviews, he always talks about that. He really enjoys coming up against the powerful players um, and getting into duels. So that's how he likes to defend. And when you do do that, you take more risks and of obviously the ball hitting your hand. He's trying to learn a different way, you know, a more Barzali way rather than a Kalini way, if you like. But um, it's, it is obviously an element of luck. But I, I, I did feel sorry for him. And another part of me is like, oh, for goodness sakes, Delict again, you know. So I'm caught into your minds. What do you think, Nikki? Yeah, I, I think this discussion about the, the, the first penalty that um, Roma could have had, and look, it, it could have changed the game, right? Because it was still 1-0 when that first one happened. It's interesting because going into the, the laws of the game, there's certainly passages that would lead you to think that because it comes off uh, Jalik's uh, leg before it hits his arm, that that should mean it's not um, a penalty. I think there's been an interpretation in Italy that's quite common uh, to a lot of the sort of moviola, the, the video replay columns that, that you see, which are a huge part of Italian coverage of these incidents and have been forever long before VAR. And, and the common feeling there is that uh, that rule doesn't apply because uh, it's not a sort of kicking it onto his own arm. It's a, he you know, reached his arm out in a way that he shouldn't have, making his frame big to try and block something. And it just happened to deflect off him onto that arm rather than um, him sort of you know uh, kicking it. It was just a, an incentive deflection. And, and whereas the decision to make yourself wide using your arms was was intentional. And I think that's been this really big focus in the Italian application of this law. And it's fascinating still how this law has been differently applied in Italy and, and different countries. I think you see different applications all over Europe, certainly, presumably all over the world, but I, I can't follow every league all over the world. And it, it just seems like Delict has not learnt his lesson when it comes to these things, because whether or not that first one should or shouldn't have been a, a, a penalty, his mistake is the same. Uh, he, he shouldn't have his, heart, his arm out there, and he's played enough big games now to know that. Mm, he's yeah, had enough true. handball decisions against him to know that. And I, I honestly, you know, who knows uh, what goes on in, on the training ground if you're not on it, but I feel like coaches should be talking to him about it every day at yeah. this point until it stops because he has given away an extraordinary number of handballs and he nearly cost, uh, he nearly cost this game to Juventus because they were winning, uh, 4-3 and they did give away that penalty and it was just, you know, as you say, it was a, a, a penalty save that, that got them out of trouble. Um, so it's something that is a flaw in his game, I would say, Kartik, to actually answer your question. Why is he so prone to it? Because he hasn't learned his lesson. And yeah, maybe the second one was a little bit harsh, but I felt like the first one was lucky. So swings and roundabouts on that front. Uh, certainly it feels tough to get the second yellow for that, that one. I think that's a sort of 
again, uh, the way the, the rule is written, the referee doesn't have leeway on it. It's, it's a yellow card, but I can see how people feel like that double jeopardy in that situation is a lot. But he deserved to be sent off for it. And it, it was a penalty. And you're right. I do think that it's something in, in his game that he should address um, and look at. And I do think it's his type of defending and he needs to find ways. I mean, there came a time when you felt like he learned his lesson not anymore. But can I just say that I am watching Torino versus Fiorentina because they're playing on a Monday afternoon while we're recording this podcast. And the third goal is just something. It's a it's a mistake from Callejon and Brekelau just scores Torino's third goal. It's just, oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to say that. Half an hour in, three goals already. That's that's the I sort know. of round we're having in Serie A. Sorry we were recording before that game got played, but they played it at a weird time. Yeah. Uh, Vlaovic, you know, you you would think that Fiorentina would be doing a lot, but away from home, they're just a terrible team. On to the next question. Do you think Nicolo Rovella on loan at Genoa could be a potential candidate to step into Juve's uninspiring midfield alongside Locatelli? And that's from Dan Vega. Dan from Wales. (laughs) What do you think? Um... Interesting case uh, with Ravella. Obviously, they uh, Juventus signed him from uh, Genoa in the start of 2021. He's been left on loan there since then. You would imagine that he is uh, at least a player they are considering as as a longer term option. He's I think he's 21 years old. He's played in the Italian youth setup through most of the age categories. He's someone who certainly has all of the right credentials as a young player who's been uh, productive at those levels but i it's hard, it's hard to be enthusiastic for juventus who are trying to kick on and get back into the top 4 it's a team that was winning the scudetto nine times in a row it's hard to be enthusiastic for them about a player who's playing in midfield for possibly the worst team in all of Serie A right now. This is a player who hasn't been able to elevate Genoa beyond really, really desperately poor performances. And look, I would say that Rovella has been one of the, the, the best players on that team. And perhaps Andriy Shevchenko, now they got through that horror series of, of fixtures in the run-up to Christmas, can start to, to improve things, can start to get more from him. He's a sort of similar sort of hybrid. I'm not saying the same sort of player in the specifics, but in terms of role on the pitch, similar sort of hybrid to uh, Locatelli in that he's sort of something between a regista and a mezzala. He can do a bit more of that, of that sort of stink deep, probably a bit more of a of a tackler, uh, but certainly someone who plays with box to box as well. But do I think he's ready for Juventus? I mean, maybe in as much as Juventus don't have a great midfield right now and, and why not? But he's he's on loan until the end of the season anyway. I imagine they'll give him another look over the summer and perhaps given the money does need to be invested in the squad elsewhere, he could end up being a, a solution they want to give a really good look to because he's already been paid for. Uh, but I'm not, he's not an option that I look at right now and think, yes, there's a solution to all of your problems lying there waiting for you at Genoa. No, I, and I think you're right in the sense of his profile as well is not necessarily one that I need somebody who has a greater exertion, like a, a better at keeping the ball in tight spaces, less likely to be overwhelmed. 
We don't know whether he, if he is surrounded by better players because he's not right now. He is very much, I think, the shining light other than Matteo Destro for Genoa. Um, and he's obviously already played under two coaches. There's an opportunity now in which people are saying Shevchenko is going to be sacked and then there's going to be a third coach. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a disaster, which means that... I mean, his... Are we counting down to Balatini again? Is that what it is? Is it Genoa? So at some point it's Balatini. <laughs> It's, it's going back to him, right, eventually. Yeah. But you, you do sort of wonder that how can a player progress and learn and develop if every day, like, everything changes. And so it, it is a problem, and he has obviously had injuries. Um, concentration is also the thing that I feel like Ravella is guilty of. I don't think that he's somebody that I feel like is is dedicated 90% of the time, um, sorry, 100% of the time within the full 90 minutes. There are problems with his concentration I do think he's been one of Genoa's more standout players and he is very good at the tackle and and, and off the ball and I think he's good at taking set pieces as well which would be a great weapon um for Juventus but frankly speaking I think like you know Rabiot who came from PSG Ramsey who came from Arsenal they're not Juve level I I don't I I don't know if Ravella is I'm I'm trying to look at players that are better on the ball somebody with a bit more experience and leadership skills um to play alongside Locatelli I I miss that kind of you know I miss a Kadira a Mitridi players with a little bit more personality I would say Pjanic but he was always overwhelmed very much a Roma player sorry guys um Very much a Roma player. Wow. I'd rather, like, if I'm going to get someone, I feel like Fratesi shows more of a character. I'd love to have him in my midfield, you know. Um, not sure he's necessarily what I'm looking for in terms of a player, but I don't. I think if just Arthur can continue these performances, wow. But he's obviously injury prone, and I think there needs to be more in there. But I love a Wijnaldum, for example. That would be my ideal player to bring in, or a Kovacic. But that's what I think would elevate Juventus, and they need to start looking at players with a greater profile and somebody that shows the leadership skills. We can't just keep buying Ronaldos and Delichts. We need that guy in midfield alongside Locatelli. That's a really great point about the leadership. Locatelli is, I think, a really talented footballer, but he's not necessarily the player who I look at and think has... That sort of character, right? Contrast him even with, say, um, Nicolo Barella at Inter. And I think Barella yeah. is such a, I am in charge of this situation kind of player. Even when he isn't fully in charge, he, he imposes that personality on things. I'm going to walk into this midfield and I'm going to drag you all with me. And I suppose that's also perhaps a natural consequence of where he was at Cagliari, where he really did have to sort of put that team in his back all the time and hoik them along with him. Whereas Locatelli had that start at Milan and then went to Sassuolo and actually was able to to build back up with a young team around him that was all moving in a particular direction and had a a, a certain vibe going, a collective vibe. And I, I think he's really talented. I, I really like Locatelli, but I, I think it's a really fascinating point you've raised about character and personality because I don't necessarily see him as a, a Barella or even like a Verratti character who you're like, okay, follow me guys he's not that sort of he's not that sort of character necessarily and then perhaps that is what Juventus need most of all right now which sometimes is easier to find in an older player sorry it's interesting you say that because I I'm not a fan of Verratti I'd prefer to have Locatelli every day in my midfield um Verratti is just uh 
his bark and no bite. Does that make sense? He's like a red card guy. And I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, and I just, just <laughs> please stop. <laughs> and I, it, just, it just annoys me. Yeah. And I feel like Barella is a Duracell bunny. And so when you have that kind of character, it's sort of easier to just tell him to calm down and just, you know, like be disciplined, stick to your positions and do what you want to do. He is a natural, he has a natural desire. But actually, incidentally, I do think Locatelli is the smartest of them all. I I just think that he needs a player alongside him to remind him of that. So I, I think he needs veteran experience, but I don't necessarily think He's actually far off in talent when it comes to Verratti and Barella. Mm. I would choose him over both of them, to be honest with you. And I know that's crazy because I know you're a huge fan of Barella and so am I. I love Barella. But they're different players as well. So it's it's difficult to say, you know. And yeah. there's different kinds of leadership as well, right? Because I was yeah. just thinking as you were talking, like... So I was thinking Pellegrini and Senior as well. Lorenzo Pellegrini and Senior. Well, Pellegrini has is, is definitely got leadership in his character, I think. But but Pirlo is someone who, what an incredible midfielder. No one no one doubted that. And he exerted a certain kind of leadership because when he was on the pitch, you knew that he would be the one distributing. He would be the one deciding how the game was played, frankly, which is a leadership in itself. But he's also not screaming your face leadership, right? And in some ways, that's yeah. why Juventus always wanted to put him alongside someone like Vidal, perhaps, who was going to be your more... Uh, aggressive, like get in someone's face kind of player. And it's interesting. It's interesting the different kinds of leadership that, that you probably ideally want to make up a football team. Tonali is, I think, the guy that for me has the most leadership from all of those that I've mentioned. I, I weirdly think he's the only one I trust that when the chips are down, he can elevate. And Lorenzo Pellegrini to, reminds me sometimes, I think he's better than Insignia. Sometimes Insignia disappears when it matters, like Dybala. And Pellegrini also has that in his... This is what worries me about the Italian national team because I struggle to point out like a guy that I think is somebody who, you know, when you think of old school, like, you know, Italian midfielders, your Gattuso's, your Delivio's, you know, your obviously your Pirlo's, like you've mentioned, you know, there was always that, okay, I know what to do. You know, Pirlo will panenka like Joe Hart in, in the penalties and put Italy back on track. I struggle to see a player like that. I think Barella and Tonali, I, I see where you're coming from with that. I don't see it anywhere else. I can't think of Pessino or Pellegrini or, you know, th- this other type of character that says we've got this, we've got this. And this is where I worry about the national team. Okay, but we did just win the Euros. Okay, I'm not letting go of that <laughs> just yet. We haven't missed out on the World Cup yet and we just won the Euros, so. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question for today, I think. Um, we've got one from the Hardcore Football Podcast, which is what makes Roma such an attractive destination for English players lately? Mina, what do you think? Firstly, I think it's got to be Jose Mourinho. Um, I also, that's a huge for them because, you know, it's an opportunity to work with a world-class coach at a club that is and has a nice project that they're trying to launch that are looking for value and talented players. I think that Chris Smalling came and very much changed his reputation at Roma. He was sort of frowned upon when he was at Manchester United. He didn't necessarily feel very happy um, 
about the way that he was playing the game. And he found his authority and his power and his strengths at Roma. And I think that he really, he's an important and integral cog in their defensive system. And you do feel his absence when he's not there. And seeing how much Spalling has improved himself from a defensive point of view, um, that is that is huge. But I think in general, like I don't want to just say it's Roma, but Serie A has become an attractive destination for really for a lot of English players because Vicario Tomori is such an important player for Milan. Um, I think that obviously you are going to look at Tammy Abraham and Chris Smalling, but you you look all all across and you can see that English players right now are making the difference and are choosing to come to Italy to have an opportunity. Um, to play with everyone when you see like Lukaku has come in, Ronaldo's come in, both of them, obviously Lukaku did tremendously after that stint in Manchester United in which he was constantly criticized and really found himself and in turn became one of the best strikers in the world. And I think having that opportunity to show yourself off, but also in Italy, there is still that desire to teach football from coaches. That's not necessarily something that Premier League coaches still do. Um, when they're talking about Manchester United, for example, that doesn't happen. No one teaches you football. You're supposed to already know what you're doing. But there is still that element of still learning every day is a school day. And that is, I think, what's important about Serie A because it does help you progress your career. And it's still an attractive league to go. You're playing with some of the world's best coaches alongside some of the world's greatest players. And you will still be attractive to come back to the Premier League. Yeah, it's funny. Ever since I read this question, I've had this phrase in my mind, which I remember uh, Jim Palotto, when he was um, owner of, of Roma, uh, kept saying to me whenever I talked to him about the project there, he said, it's Rome, stupid. And like, not saying that like to me, but that's like his sales pitch basically was he was like, this has to work. Like, it's going to work because it's Rome. Like people are not capitalizing on the fact that it's Rome and everyone wants to come to Rome and look at the tourist appeal that we've got and, and all these things on our doorstep. I, I never know. Again, it's the same as, as perhaps the conversation we had on the main podcast this week about, uh, Lorenzo Insignia and, and going to Toronto. Maybe it is an influence for some footballers thinking, you know what? Wow. Let's go to Rome and, and live in Rome for a little while. What an amazing experience. And, um, and perhaps that's some part of it. It's certainly, uh, a, a, a big profile club, Roma have club that have international success in their past and, and that, that will capture some players' attention. I agree with you about Mourinho's profile, and I think that's really fascinating because actually, as we've also talked about, Mourinho is just throwing his players one at a time under the bus this season. It's like, under you go. You know whose fault it is? Not this guy, so it's your fault, your <laughs> fault, and your fault. And do you do you really like, is that that attractive to like go somewhere and get told that you're the reason that Mourinho's career is going off the tracks? Um, but I think the players do still uh, buy into the the idea of him as a, a big manager and, and someone who has done things in their career, and and that still makes sense to me actually, even with the the sort of the the stuff that he says sometimes being so frustrating. Like in the end, there are almost no other managers in, in, in world football, only, only a very, very tiny pool of the most elite managers can say, yeah, I've, I've done the things that Jose's done. I've won the Champions League. I've yeah. won Serie A and, and the Premier League and, 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 you know, all these things. So of course he has experience and things that he can impart, even if his, uh, 
overall style seems to be less effective now than it, than it used to be. Of course, there are still things you can learn from a person who's done that in their career. So for sure, I think he's, he's a big part of it still, but you know, I, I do think it's probably really important as well that someone has set the example and done it. You know, when Chris Smalling went, it felt more like a sort of, a bit of a sort of, oh, you know, it's a brave choice going somewhere and, and being the, the one English player there. And then Tammy Abraham follows it. And then you know that both of them have actually done pretty well in Rome. Smalling has had a good time in Rome. Tammy Abraham is on fire at the moment. And so if you're Maitland Niles, you look at it and you go, well, I'm going to go to a dressing room where I know there's going to be at least two other English speakers, both of whose careers have been furthered by being there. And Mourinho speaks English as well. So I'm not worried about the manager trying to teach me things that I don't get. Sure. Like it's, it's, it's enough good stuff in that, in that picture to, to make it seem attractive. So I think it's, yeah, a collection of lots of different things and probably also to spin it around the other way. You know, you've got a manager who has recent Premier League experience, who's probably looking to the Premier League more. And, and that's why some of those deals come, come to be as well. It's, it's a, in that chicken and egg conversation, it's, it's both the chicken and the egg, I guess. So that is all we've got time for in this week's Q&A mailbag. There were really interesting questions, guys. So please do keep them coming in. We hope you enjoyed the Serie A Chronicles Q&A, our first of 2022. Join our Patreon and become a Chronicles Tifosi at patreon.com forward slash Serie A Chronicles to get access to exclusive podcast episodes and bonus content all coming up for you in this new year. Get your questions in on Twitter at Seria Cronpod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Please keep them coming. We really do love answering them. Find both of us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Rizuki. And subscribe to Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Leave us a rating and a review. Make sure they're obviously beautiful and outstanding and we're the best people on the planet. Otherwise, don't leave a review. Um, and you can do that on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And we hope to hear you on our main show on Tuesday. Speak then. Ciao for now. got sent there and I basically just sent it to my mum because I knew she wanted to see it um I, I oh me too <laughs> <laughs> I sent it to my mum as well we really love our moms <laughs> my mum won't let me know like my mum is you know low-key stalker half the time she's always checking what I'm doing so Mine I know too. <laughs> oh no my mum's a proper troll by the way <laughs> I love her. My mom's like that 75 year old troll going, this is terrible advice to people who like say something on Twitter. They, you know, don't listen to this woman. She's crazy. And I'm like, mom. And she has like thousands of followers. I love the idea that your mom's out there replying to posts just going, Penaldo. Yeah, you just know. You just know that's what she is. And you know what? She won't actually give us her Twitter name because it's a secret. And she's like famous, you don't understand. Like she's got like thousands of followers, yeah. And she has now like fully like put her iPad on like a thousand securities that we can't even like look at it. And I swear to you, I feel like she's like there was once where I uploaded a picture and she and I just got a comment that said take it down. Yeah. And I know that's her. And she's not telling me. Because if she doesn't like a picture, she's so mean. <laughs> 
Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.